as I thought about what I would share on today, our first message of 2021, I thought I would like to talk about the Word of God. More in particular, talk about how it should be our guide through the year and that we should become more dependent upon it, depending on how much time God gives us beyond this year. Last Sunday, Brother Patrick mentioned in his prayer, and I quote, that we should be under the word, subject to the word, end of quote. The whole idea is that we would be influenced by the word of God so much that our focus, our thoughts, our words, and our actions would be directed by the word of God. So as I thought about what would guide us through our lesson today and what hopefully would guide us through the year, what scripture would we use? So I decided to use 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, you might be thinking something like the professional football players that uh, played under the great Vince Lombardi. Every season, Vince Lombardi started his season, the first meeting, the same way. He'd come in, he'd hold up a football, and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, you might feel that this is where we are this morning, but I'm praying that God would help us to learn from this familiar passage that we might look into it and see how God would use this in our lives first and then help us to share that and use it in the lives of others as he permits. So let's pray and get into the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word Thank you for preserving it for us down through the years. Today, when we stand, we have confidence of knowing that we are hearing from heaven when we read your word. So direct us in our time that we might honor you in all that we do. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is God and is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. So when we look at a passage of scripture, we don't just start with those verses. You have to pick up the context of what it is that he's saying, why is it that he got to this particular point, and where is he in his writings. And in order to do that, I want to remind you that this is a letter that Paul is writing and not a book. So it's not broken up originally in the chapters and verses. This would be a letter of instruction that he is sending to this preacher that he might help him as he is pastoring uh, this particular church. So when we look at our passage and we pick up for context, we go up to verse 10 and he says, now you. Well, when you have that term now, 
he's comparing it to something he has said before. So if you go up to verse 1 in the chapter, it starts off with but, which is a contrast. So in looking for a place to start, we went to chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, skilled in teaching, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So Paul tells Timothy how to conduct himself among the outsiders how it is that he is to be a man that would be able to teach them that perhaps as they are opposing him and he is teaching them that some might come to repentance. So that's the whole point of preaching. That's the whole point of teaching, that we would do so in a manner that our conduct would not be offensive to people, but that they might hear this great gospel that we have to share. And then he comes into what we have in chapter 3, and he, and he talks about a group of people here. He says, but realize this, that in the last day, difficult time will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, uh, slanders, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, uh, malicious gossip, without self-control, brutal, Haters of good, treacherous, uh, reckless, con consent, <clears throat> conceit, excuse me, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied the power. Avoid such people. Now, who is he telling Timothy to avoid? These people that he had just talked about, he's talked about 18 things that these people are. Unloving, unkind. They are uh, conceited. They are all within themselves. Then he says, avoid search people. Now, he must not be talking about the unbeliever because he just told him in chapter 2, 24 and 25, how to conduct himself with unbelievers. So who is he talking about here? He's talking about those who would call themselves Christians and call themselves leaders of the church, but are not living up to it, who are really false. Now, how do we know he's not talking about when he says avoid these people? How do we know he's not talking about uh, uh, unbelievers, but he's talking about those so-called believers? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse starting at verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the greedy or with swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexual immoral person or greedy person or idolater or 
a verbally abusive person or habitual drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? Do not you judge those who are within the church, but those on the outside God would judge. Remove the evil person from your assembly. So he is giving instructions here that I wrote you before to tell you not to associate with the sexually immoral person. I didn't mean those people on the outside. Because who, how else are you going to bring them to Christ? He said, but I meant a so-called brother that you would not associate with that person, not even have a meal with him. So when we look at these people in 2 in Timothy chapter 3 that he's talking about here, he says, don't associate with them. So when they come to your house pretending to be elders or pretending to be Bible students, he's saying don't associate with them. In other words, don't encourage them in what they're doing. What do you do? You give them the gospel. They have just come to your door. You are in charge. So give them the gospel that they might be without excuse walking away from your door that they might hear what it is that they really need to hear so they can receive the truth. Now back to chapter 3, look at verse 10 when he says, Now you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, Love, perseverance, persecution, and suffering, such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and all, out of all of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who want to live a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Didn't say might be. He said you will be persecuted. So he says, follow those things that you've seen in me. In other words, follow my conduct even under the times that I was going through persecutions. He says, that's what I want you to do. Not to look around you and see what the others are doing and do what they are doing. You follow the instructions, the conduct, and everything that you've seen in me, including the times that I went through persecution. He says, when you do that, then you are putting on display Jesus Christ to those that you are dealing with. And then he says in verse 13, but evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. You, you, you kind of wonder, how do you go from bad to worse? The term that Paul uses here is a blacksmithing term. It means to beat forward. So a blacksmith would take a piece of iron that was short and thick. He would heat it up, bring it to the anvil, and with a hammer, he would beat that until it spreads out and it's going to extend. Now it's going to get thin and long. So it's called advancing. So they're going to take their evil ways that they're already in and then get worse in it. So he's giving him a warning here. Evil people will advance from bad 
to worse. So he just wanted them to him to be aware that they might know what it is that, that they're going to be doing. And what, why do they do this? Because they are deceiving and they are being deceived. They are deceiving those that are following them and they are being deceived by the devil. And so that's what Paul is bringing out to them. This is what he wants them to understand. Then in verse 14, he says, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Again, he takes this opportunity to say, Timothy, you've been believing in the scriptures for a long time. You believe them from childhood. He said, remember from whom you have learned them. Matter of fact, the, the, the word whom there is plural, which actually would f refer back to his mother and his grandmother. That's who he learned these things from. And so he's bringing this out. He says, but you, old oh man, here's what you ought to do. And then when he gets to this point, he's, he's sharing with the, them, him, that, that he wants them to do this. Why? Because all of this leads to salvation, which is where? Only in Christ Jesus. And that we need to take a point. When you're talking to people, you're going to talk to them for the purpose of bringing them to Christ. Give them this great gospel that they might understand it, that they might come to know Christ. And then to our verses. All scripture is inspired by God. And is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction in righteousness, for, I'm sorry, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. When you see in verse 17, it says, uh, so that, that's a purpose cause. The first verse He's telling them what to do. And then in verse 17, he tells them why he's going to do it. So that the man of God may be fully equipped. Inspired by God. We, we've heard it. We all know it. We could share it even. It's used one time in the New Testament. It means breathed out by God or God breathed. Now, sometimes this inspiration was direct word for word. And other times the inspiration would be God would move upon men and have them to write using their own personality, their own educational level. But it was all God's word. I want to show just two examples. First, the word for word uh, preaching. The word for word uh, inspiration. Jeremiah chapter, nine, chapter 1 verse 9. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my word in your mouth. Look down at verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, 
What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a branch of an olive tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now that's word for word inspiration. God is giving him the words that he is to write down, the words that he wants said. Now, second method, Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 20 and 21. He says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture becomes a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That word moved means to superintend, to look over, to uh, take care of this thing, to make sure it is doing right. It is used in secular Greek of uh, people in a boat out on the sea. They are being superintended on the water by the boat itself. They're not out there walking on the water. They can do that. But the boat is, is carrying them. Now, that same term could be used if a storm came up and then was driving the ship wherever the storm wanted it to go. It would be used of the storm superintending over the ship, moving it not under its own power, but under the power of the storm. So God would give his word to these men and they would write it down. As a matter of fact, our word moved is used twice in, in, in this passage. He says, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes. That's that word superintend. It was never superintended by a person's private interpretation. How did it come then? Through God superintending it, through God bringing it about and God making sure that it was his inerrant, inspired, perfect word of God for you and I to share today. Looking at that word uh, superintend, look at uh, uh, Hebrews 1 uh, verse 3. It says, and he, referring to Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation, representation of his nature and upholding all things by the word of his power. That word upholding, he upholds, he's superintending all things. This entire universe, God is superintending. Not one thing is out of place in the entire universe. Not one grain of dust. Everything is just as God has superintended it, that the universe would stand until God says something different. And that's how he has brought us his word, that we might understand this word. Now back to our passage. He says that the word of God is beneficial for teaching. This word beneficial could mean beneficial, could mean useful, or it could mean profitable. All of those things tell us that the word of God 
is beneficial for. Now, it's used here beneficial for teaching, but it also implies beneficial for the other things that it's going to do also. But he's bringing it to us that we might understand that. Now, look at 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, for bodily training is, is just slightly beneficial. Uh, for all you uh, uh, physical buffs and, and getting that body, he said it's just slightly beneficial. Okay. But godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's what godly discipline brings, brings us to. It's for this life right now, and it's also for the life to come. So this word is profitable. It is beneficial for teaching. When we see the word teaching, it's used 29 times in the New Testament. 19 of those times is translated doctrine. So most uh, uh, Translators even translate this verse, uh, doctrine. It is profitable for doctrine. That means getting it right. And that's what uh, we, we want to understand, what it is that God has brought to us. So when we think about teaching, teaching can be done in a good manner. Teaching can be done in a wrong manner. In Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 8, we have it done in the wrong manner. Jesus said to them, he says, but he said unto them, rightly Isaiah did prophesy about you hypocrites, and it is written. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine, our word, the commands of men neglecting the commands of God. You hold to the traditions of men. He said, yeah, you, you're giving doctrine, but you're giving doctrine on the wrong thing. You're giving doctrine on men instead of the commands of God. He said, this is how it should not be done. And then in Timothy 4.13, 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul would say to Timothy, until I come, give attention to public reading, exhortation, and the teaching. He says, I want you doing the things that you were called to do as a pastor. To Titus, he would say in, in chapter 2, but as for you, proclaim the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And he goes on and gives him a list of things that he can, he can talk about. But do those things that are good for sound doctrine. Because, see, with sound doctrine, people will learn how to live. They will know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And what it is that God is truly calling us to be. Then we come to the phrase, it is profitable for Rebuke. Rebuke is used two times. It means uh, proof. It is the rule. It is wh what things should be like. How do we know that? how long is a foot? 
because we have a rule that's 12 inches. So you can go by that. If anyone wanted to give you 11 uh, inches in a foot, you would know that that was wrong. So the scripture, he says, this word means it is the proof. It is set forth that we have. We're very familiar with it in its use in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter one. He says, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for a proof of things not seen. Now, we, we, hear, we don't hear it translated as proof. Most of the time we hear it translated as evidence as evidence of things not seen. So he says the proof, when you are going to rebuke a person, you rebuke them by what? By the truth of God's word. Not by your opinion, not by what you think, but by the proof of God's word. The word says this, you are not doing it. Here is how it is to be straightened out in your life by the word. Now, when we do this, yes, we, we need to keep in mind that Jesus has warned us to first take the log out of our own eye. In other words, you don't go to a person with sin when you're laden in sin yourself. We're not talking about we have to be sinless perfected before we go to a person because we never would go to them. But we are talking about that there is no sin in us that's active. And we are being able to take this word to them to share with them about what it is that's going on in their lives. So he tells us that here is, is profitable for reproof because it is the straight rule. Then he says for correction. The word correction means uh, restoration to an upright or right state. Correct improvement of life or character. So when you're going to issue a correction for a person, you're looking to do it in one or two places. You want to help him with his life or you want to help him with his character. That he or she then might be um, brought back to what it is that they should have been in the first place. This is speaking of believers as they have erred and gone away, and then someone would come to them with this correction, this teaching, and bring it to them that they might understand what it is that is that is doing. And then we come down to for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Look at this word training. It has to do with... Uh, chastisement or chastening or instruction and it is used mostly of children and the whole training of the child and educating this child which is related to uh, the culture and to the mind and morals so you don't want to raise a kid who can add faster than a calculator but has no morals he says, when you're educating your children, you're raising them up. You want to bring them up with both, that they would be educated in what it is that they'd be doing, but also have morals. So this is what this teaching is. It's directed to bring us to a point that we might understand what it is that God has called us to do. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 
I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 4. He gives it to us in kind of a different sense, but he's referring to children. He says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. That discipline and instruction of the Lord is, is the word teaching. Some translates it doctrine. In the doctrine of the Lord. Do not exasperate your children. If you have a, a, a kid who's a C student, don't try to make him be an A student. Help him to be the best C student he can. But it would be frustrating to always say, when are you going to bring the A? When are you going to bring the A? When are you going to bring the A? That's what he's saying is don't, don't bring this, this uh, uh, disaster or, or this uh, hesitation to your kid to even try because now you're frustrating him because he can't reach that point. But bring him up in the fear and the admiration of the Lord that we might do the things that we are supposed to do as the parents that he has called us to do. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, he says, for the moment, all discipline seemed to, to not be pleasurable, but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you put out this discipline, why do we discipline our kids? Not because we're bigger than they are, but we want to see a change in behavior. He says, and when it has done right, it brings a fruitful righteousness. And by the way, that's both of our, our, our words right there. The training in righteousness is, is revealed in this verse. And then when we go to the word righteousness, in its broadest sense, it's a state of him who is as he ought to be. How should a Christian ought to be? He should be righteous because we are called into righteous. In the narrow sense, it is a condition that is acceptable to God. The doctrine concerning the way in which a man may obtain a state approved of God. Now, when we hear that statement, the scripture we need to go to is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because here is the state that a man attains that is approved of God in this verse. He God made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what we're looking for. Training in righteousness. That righteousness that can only come from Christ that presents us before his father as a in a right standing because of what he did on the cross on our behalf that we then might walk in his righteousness. We had no righteousness just as Christ had no sin, but he bore our sins on the tree so that we then might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And when we have this, we know that we have it from God. There are times that you put together your study, you do all the 
the things that you, you should be doing. And then you pick up a book by one of these guys that's been doing this thing for such a long time. And he just makes it so simple. So I just thought I would share his simplicity with you as he talks about for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. This is how, um, just forgot the guy's name. I didn't remember. Uh, Warren Wisby, that's his name. This is how Warren Wisby said it. For doctrine, what is right? For reproof, what is not right? For correction, how to get it right? For instructions in righteousness, how to stay right? And that's just simple. That's what it's calling us to do. When he tells us that it's for doctrine, he wants us to know what is right. When he tells us to reprove, you're dealing with what is not right. Then when he says correction, you're teaching that person how to get right. And then for instructions in righteousness, how to stay right. How is it that you continue to live this life in a right standing with God? And then we go to verse 17. 2 Timothy 3, 17. So that the man of God may be fully Capable, equipped for every good work. Capable, fit, complete, perfect. Not in the sinless perfection, but fit for use. If we live by the word of God, applying it to our lives, then we are fit for use by God in his kingdom. And then we are to do those things that he has called us to do. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul calls Timothy a man of God. In these verses, 16 and 17, Paul is teaching Timothy and us how we all can be people of God. By taking his word and applying it to our lives and then living that out in front of others and dealing with others when necessary. These are the things that we have been called to do by God. Now, we, we, we started off at 2 Timothy uh, 2.24, talked about how it is that Timothy is to live with the outsiders. And then he came down and talked about these uh, people who call themselves leaders and are not, especially not in the true church. And then he gave him some instructions on the word. What comes next? Have you ever thought about that? We, we, we all familiar with 3, 16 and 17. You ever think about what's next? He says, I charge you before God to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to rebuke. He wants this word 
to be taught, to be preached, to do it in season and out of season. Do it when they want to hear and when they don't want to hear. This is what he's called to do. And that's what you and I are called to do. That we would preach God's word in season and out of season to those around us. Whether they want to hear it or not. And I don't mean chasing them down the street. But I do mean when people come and they ask, then I will share with them from the scripture. And they may say to me, well, that wasn't what I was thinking about. Well, okay, but you asked me, so I'm sharing. And my whole point is to share because the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and that by a word about the Christ. And so I want them to have that opportunity that they might hear and understand. A few weeks ago, we were going through in our class, Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians has that same uh, uh, thing that is telling us uh, the purpose of the word of God. And he says in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. He has given gifted men to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity, one unity in Christ. So that's what the word of God will do. That's what we are called to do. Everything that we need is in the word of God. Peter has told us that. He says, for his divine power has granted unto us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellency. Everything that we need. We're going to come to a point to where we're going to participate in the Lord's table. And the scripture gives us instructions on how to do that also. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 22. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. Paul would go on and say, therefore, whoever eat the bread and drink of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of this bread and to drink of this cup. So he even tells us when we come to the table, let us examine ourselves to make sure that there is no active sin in my life before I come and take of this. So who is it open to? It's open to all Christians, whether you are a member of this church or not. It's open to all Christians. All we ask 
is that you would examine yourself, that you would not partake of this in an unworthy manner, that we might come and share in this great feast together. He says, this is my body broken for you. This is the blood of Christ that was given. Now, is it actually his body and his But No, we don't believe in it coming down and doing that. It's representative of when we do this, we do it in remembrance of what he did on our behalf. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come before your table. Help us that we might do so in a word and manner. In Jesus' name, amen.